0: Hey guys, it's Jill. Jen and I wanted to give you a heads up about the content on today's episode. It may be triggering for more sensitive audiences. Refer to the show notes for more specifics and take care while you listen.
1: On this episode of Common Mystics, we talk with our friend, musician and author, T.I. Shippers, about an intriguing murder mystery that's haunted her community for over a hundred years. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today's story comes to you from Cadillac, Michigan. Jennifer. Jennifer.
0: We have a very special guest. We're so excited. T, I thank you so much for being here.
2: My pleasure. I had so much fun with the two of you when you came up to visit. I hope you do it again soon.
0: Oh, for sure. And we, in the opening, we left out that you are yourself a psychic and a medium and really dabble in those metaphysical arts. Is there something that you want to share before we get started about how we connected with you and how your abilities may be similar or different than ours?
2: Well, we connected through our mutual friend, Rita Meach, who is mm-hmm. Ms. Green. Um, she's our local recycler. I've been friends with her for about 40 years and she knew I was spooky and (laughs) (laughs) and she met Jill and found out she was spooky and she actually early on in your podcast she um, sent me a link and I started listening and I just loved your energy my sisters and I are also when we're together it amplifies our abilities it's really interesting and hearing that from you two was just delightful. So I felt that connection with you guys right away.
0: And what's funny about that is that independent of that, I had listened to your spooked episode, and it was my favorite episode. I remember where I was when I was listening to it, what I was doing, and I absolutely loved it. And I think I shared it with Jennifer. You did. And I listened and I was blown away too. And that was before Rita even mentioned you to us. And then Rita, you know, Rita, she was trying to explain who you were to me and mentioned the spooks. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. And I was like, Rita, are you telling me the woman that was at the bar in Wisconsin and you are friends? And she's like, yeah, uh-huh. And I was like, get out of here.
1: Yeah, it's... St- so strange the way things work out because we had listened to that episode, listened to you telling your story, and felt a connection to you not right realizing away. that we were that we would meet you. So anyway, we were fangirling the whole time we were visiting.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, well, so was I, let me just say. <laughs> oh, oh,
1: that's
0: really sweet. You have an amazing family and your energy is a, it's surreal. It really was. Jennifer and I left there. I'm like, that didn't happen. These people aren't real. I was <laughs> like, how can they be real? <laughs> They're just delightful. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah came, for real. We
2: came on a really good weekend. There was a lot of fun <laughs> stuff happening. My, my son was playing in a band that night. And yeah, we got to go and see that. That was lots of fun, too.
0: <laughs> it was a lot of fun. OK, so we were visiting in July of 2022. So just this past summer, part of us getting together was using our Spideys together as a trio. (laughs) So we went out on the town using our psychic ability. Now, if I remember, you didn't want to pollute or corrupt anything we were getting. You wanted to be very quiet in the backseat.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Jen, what were you feeling? I was actually feeling a lot of energy from both you and T.I. Th- that's fair. <laughs> so I was wanting to be the role of the recorder and less of the psychic being surrounded by both you and Jill, who have such strong mystical energies. So I decided pretty early on in the experience that I was just going to kind of be quiet and and, you know, take notes. But so. in spite of yourself, you've got a lot of good hits. Well, like I said, that feeling of anxiety and dread was something that I started to feel kind of immediately.
2: We did have a conversation before the car even started. I think maybe even before we got in the car, because all of us, this was something new, and I was like fangirling on YouTube, and I was thinking, you know, <laughs> listening to how you connect and how you you so intuitively follow your breadcrumbs and to the end story. And for me, it's a different kind of process, and so I was thinking, am I going to hinder? Where you are, where you're, where you're being led. Am I going to like what you said, pollute or to influence over influence what was waiting for you here? Because Mm. all of the things that happen get us to where we are when we get there for a reason all the time. And Mm. even the stuff we don't pay attention to. And I know that all of our journeys that brought us together on that weekend, I knew there was something important beginning. And I did mm-hmm. not want to over influence it and not have it come from you guys, because it brought you here. I'm here all the time. I get mm-hmm. I get impressions from about the story all the time. And I mm-hmm. wanted it to be from you. And I also thought that maybe there was something else that um, you were that would draw you that we would be more helpful with. And I always see I see you and my my job, too, is to, you know, you talk about giving voice to the voiceless. And I always see my gift as being a helping gift for both the living and spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I call myself a spirit medium, not just ghosts, but all non-physical forms, but also to people, to the living as well, and I wanted to more follow what you were doing. And as it turned out, it was sort of synchronistic, of course, that what happened. <laughs> so I, so I told you my my anxiety with it, and you both laughed. And went, oh my God, we were feeling like you know we can't that we weren't going to be able to do a good job <laughs> kind of thing. So right away we got all that out, and then we go.
0: In my mind, I felt like you were amplifying our energy. It wasn't like you were interjecting, but just your presence Mm -hmm. there was almost like generating energy and fueling what was what was happening in my mind's eye. And Jen, like she said, her in her process, she thought that she was going to take a backseat. But as I was going through the notes, putting together the outline, I was like, God damn, I was like, my sister's psychic AF. (laughs) She really was getting really good hits. And I was like, wow and this is her <laughs> ne- dialing it down and then it occurred to me just having you there it was almost like a co- like you yourself was feeding us energy was fueling us not with leading us in any direction mm-hmm. but just being there like um amplifying what we were experiencing yeah yeah right. like like a
2: conduit or something and like like when we, when the three of us were together it was like a three-legged stool you can sit on a stool with two legs but you have to constantly pay attention and balance when you get the third leg you get to relax a little and just go with it. So I, feel yes. like I was able to do that a little bit for you
0: guys. So we left your house
1: mm-hmm. and we set the intention right away. Jen, what is our intention? Our intention was, as it always is, to find a verifiable story previously unknown to us that allows us to give voice to the voiceless. Yep. And we headed
2: east. <laughs> Can I interject something? Sure. When we first got in the car, and I think this is significant, and we started heading down my street, on your GPS, you said, okay, we're going to go down to the end of the block and go left, so we're heading east. And I said, if you go to the end of the block and go left, you'll be heading south. And you were both like, whoa, wait, what? And you're looking at the map, <laughs> and I said, if you want to go east, That's right. east, It's it's the opposite direction that we are headed now. Um, And then we said maybe it's southeast. And then we turned down a side street to start heading southeast.
0: That's exactly right. That is exactly right.
1: What were you feeling, Jen, in the car? Summarize your hits. I was feeling anxiety and dread. Those are feelings that were kind of overwhelming almost right away. Also, the sense of sadness over a life that was prematurely cut short, you know, the feeling that death had come too soon. Also, murder and specifically the death of a baby would come up. And then I was hearing a woman cry, my baby, my baby. Mm -hmm. So over the course of the time that we were in the car and had made stops that we'll talk about, those were some of the different things that I had written down. Mm -hmm. I remember
0: as we were driving through TI's neighborhood, I was feeling a female energy later on. We had driven out into more of a rural area, and I was noticing trees that seemed to be large but not full, almost as if they were dying or dead already. That kept coming up for me. And also, I I remember wanting to let people know that I was here, like a spirit was coming through, saying, "I need, I need something to re- be remembered by. I need something to let people know that I was here." Also, I felt a childlike energy coming through, like like wanting to run around in the fields and like frolic.
2: Well, I remember that right after we took off and we turned down a specific street in my town is when you spoke of um, sadness and female energy. And it was right as we were passing a house that I knew about. And Ooh. I just kept my mouth shut because that, <laughs> that maybe, that maybe um, you were picking that up as we passed and it would change. But then as we turned, and turned again, I remember driving on, um, on a road that was heading um, southeast, we went east and then south. And you asked me if you some one of you, I don't remember which one said, I'm feeling a um, there's a, a like a um, historical marker or something. Yes. And, and I had no knowledge of any historical marker anywhere near the area. And then as we're, this is as we're going up, there's a place called Grove Hill, which is the highest point in the lower peninsula of Michigan. And as we were just reaching the precipice of that hill, and I said, well, maybe it's because this hill is a, is a known point of interest. And there was a gravel drive there that I thought just led to a cell tower, but actually led to this little park that had this great big, guess what, Historical marker. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, holy macaroni and cheese. <laughs> when something like that happens, I get this full body rush. And as we turned in there and I saw that marker, I got this full body rush. And I knew we were on the path. And I knew where we were going.
0: Mm. Oh,
2: you knew from that moment. Yeah, I thought that you had picked up the energy from the house and we're maybe going for something else because you were also was it at that point you were talking about some Native American energy and stuff? Or was it yes. That?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were going to maybe talk about the Native American energy that we were feeling on the detours okay. for this episode, okay. because there, mm-hmm. there were some things that were definitely coming up. But when you when you describe us, I think it was Jill picking up on a historical marker and then mm-hmm. we find that historical marker to us. That's the breadcrumb that just mm-hmm. shows, you know, girls, you're you're on the right path. You're mm-hmm. headed Your towards spidies the right are place. working. Right. <laughs>
0: right. Well, and that's what the, near the historical markers. When I was noticing those trees, the mm-hmm. they were full trees, but they seemed dead. And it seemed like that was significant. And that's going to come up again later mm-hmm. to validate the story that. T.I. was watching us discover in real time, which is <laughs> fun because we didn't have to do any of the research, right? She was just watching us. It was us instant do- validation.
2: Loved <laughs> it. It was so fun. It
0: was so <laughs> fun. <laughs> So we ended up in Sherman Township and we're driving on this country road and the clouds are thick and gray. Mm -hmm. But over a little bit to the right down this road, there was a break in the clouds and it just so happened to be over the Sherman Township Cemetery. That's right. And right away, we love a good cemetery. We sure do. We do love a good cemetery. So we got out and we go to the cemetery.
2: (laughs) I love a good cemetery too. (laughs) We did not go directly to the cemetery. Mm-mm. We turned off on like what looked like a two track. Mm-hmm. And as we were driving down the two track, I wasn't, I knew we were headed in that direction and I knew where we would end up, but it was like this turn, then this turn, then this turn. And these are roads I've never traveled on. And as we were going to remember the foul, yes. do you remember the turkey? yes, And there were seven of them, mm-hmm. there were seven of them blocking the road. Now, when it was a turkey that came out first, I think, and then these other hens came out and they stood there in front of us. I think you've got some pictures of them. I might have. Yeah. Yeah. And usually, you know, I drive these country roads and when chickens or turkeys walk across the road, if there's a car there, they get out of the way quick. Right. These seven of them stopped and eyeballed us for (laughs) several minutes and then walked off into the brush and just past where they walked off was another road. And we said, turn here. Yeah. And that's where we turned. And then we hit the road. Then we turned right at the next road. And that's where we were on the Sherman Cemetery Road.
1: I do have the video. That was wild. I've never seen anything like that.
2: Neither have I. Neither have I. It was remarkable. Yeah.
1: It's like they were yeah. they were leading us in a way too. It was another breadcrumb, but they were almost communicating with us,
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And I, uh, something that I thought of later is when I was a child, my mother referred to us as her chickens. Ah. And I'm wondering if the chickens weren't a way for the person who we were going to speak going to find. It was like her children mm. I if that wasn't because I felt that right away. Mm. And then I remembered my mom called us her chicken. I love that. So we
0: end up at the cemetery and Jen and I wander around. We separate from each other. And I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I wanted to lay down on the ground like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why, but it felt like I wanted to lay on the ground. What were you picking up when we were walking around the cemetery?
1: That's when I started hearing the woman cry, my baby, my baby. And I think that's when T.I. kind of couldn't keep it to herself anymore because she knew exactly what we were picking up on. Is that right, T.I.?
2: That's right. And you asked me, you said, do you know what we're looking for? And I said, I absolutely do. Keep going. <laughs> Well, give
0: us a rundown of what what it was that you were watching us pick up on. Tell us what you know of this story.
2: Okay, so we have a, a Facebook group called Haunted Cadillac. And somebody got in touch with my daughter, Rachel, and said, do you know about the Cadillac murder house? And we didn't. And so we started to do a little bit of, of research on Cadillac murder house. And it was amazing. And it was on a block that... It's a street that, is, that multiple people that I've known have had experiences on. And so we were trying to sense which house it was. But unfortunately, on that street, there are four or five different houses that are haunted AF. And when you drive by them, it's like you pulling your, you know. So I, I wasn't sure, you know, where where it was. and But I knew the story was that a mother had shot her entire family, her husband and all her children, And then herself and that there was one survivor, which was the 17 year old son who they thought would not survive. He ended up surviving.
1: Mm. So let's talk a little bit about what was reported at the time, right after the incident. In June of 1908, there are several different articles that we have in front of us. But just to summarize, the information that was published almost immediately was that the wife and mother had been insane and probably murdered her family and then shot herself. So a murder-suicide. And as as soon as the day after the crime, that's what the papers were publishing. The individuals involved were Daniel Cooper, the husband and father, 48. Mrs. Cooper, I believe her name was Emma. Is that right? Emma Hetty Cooper. She was 45 years old. Inez, her daughter, aged 11. Fred, age 17, who I think you already mentioned, T.I., was shot in the, ha- in the head. In some accounts, they reported that he had died, but he recovered and lived. Okay, he was 17. Harry was 14, Samuel 10, Georgiana 5, and little Florence was only a year and a half. It was reported that when the bodies were found somewhere in their beds, others were on the floor. Mrs. Cooper herself was found laying over the body of her baby, Florence, on the bed with the empty revolver beside her. It was believed and published that Mrs. Cooper committed the murders and then killed herself. And they noted that she had been in an asylum a few months before and Fred Cooper would live. And he reported after the incident that his mother did it. He said, mother did it. I think mother first chloroformed the members of the family before shooting them is what he was reported to say. There's also a very interesting account about Mrs. Cooper's behavior the, the night before the murders. The night of the murders. Yeah. Jill, do you want to summarize what happened?
0: Yes. Well, Mrs. Cooper, the night of the murders, took all her children to a Vaudeville performance. She bargained with the girl at the ticket counter so that she can get the entire family admitted into the Vaudeville show for 50 cents total. And the girl at the counter was like, okay, I'll do this for you, but like, that's not going to happen again. This isn't setting a precedent. And Mrs. Cooper reportedly had said, you'll never need to do it again because none of us will ever come here after tonight. So apparently Apparently, she treated the children to candy and peanuts, and then they marched up and down the streets after the show, all in a happy mood. Everyone seemed cheerful by the people that saw them. But it was that night that when they got home, the murders occurred shortly thereafter.
1: Right, so the papers talk a lot about how she had been quote unquote insane, but had periods of sane intervals. There's talk about uh the the reasons that she might have been depressed. It reports that her husband was out of work, she had just had a baby and uh, had some postpartum depression. And it was also noted in the papers that Fred, 17, the only member of the family to survive, was working steadily on the farm, although they were struggling financially. Mm. Yeah. So those are some of the quote unquote facts that were reported in 1908. Thoughts?
2: When it talked about the, her with the children, I think it's important to point out that Fred was not considered one of the children he was working So the oldest was not not at the movies. It was the younger children and the mother. He He was working as the sole support of the family. It's also kind of horrific that right after the murders, you know, it wasn't like today where they put tape around a crime scene. By the time the sheriff and everybody got there, People had just devastated the home. Locals had gone in and taken sample, you know, snips of hair and stuff as souvenirs. They had told just were all over the quote unquote crime scene. It took hours and hours to get the people out of the house for the coroner to then claim the bodies. And then at the funeral home, thousands and thousands of people came to just gawk and that anguish is something that i felt mm. from all the family members because when we when we die suddenly we don't just all of a sudden disappear from my experience we remain near our bodies for quite some time and i think that all of the coopers witnessed this barrage of gawkers getting their jollies off of the horrendous experience that this family had just gone through. And I I think they've all witnessed that. I saw, you know, that was one of my vision, my sleep impressions.
1: You bring up a really good point about the fact that the authorities did not secure the crime scene, right? It was trampled through and any evidence that there might have been was pretty much destroyed by all of the people who are traipsing mm-hmm. through the scene. So I think that's, that's pivotal as well.
2: It is. So the only real evidence that they could use were the bodies themselves, um, looking for powder burns, looking for things like that. And they were able to do that in 1908.
0: Today, is this story in Cadillac well known?
2: No, most people don't know about it. I know that this gentleman who's writing a history of of Cadillac, the one that talked to me about which house it was, he spoke to me about another issue that I was involved in. But he was, in one of the chapters, it's the darker side of Cadillac, and it's, this story is in that. But it's not something that is well-known. People don't talk about it. There are no direct descendants from that family, but there are relatives of the family that are still in the area in both Sherman Township and here in Cadillac.
0: Why do you think we were picking up on that story?
2: I think that Mrs. Cooper, that Emma, not just Emma, I also think Ina, Inez, the, the daughter, wanted us to know the story. I really think that when spirit comes to me, it's that they're like, hey, hey, I'm here Do do something, do something. I think there was a great injustice on this entire family. And I think they wanted some peace. And I know that when it first came to my attention, all of a sudden, it was very intensely in my conscious mind that these people need something. And I know that the story that was told in the papers, I do not believe that's the true story at all.
0: How long has this story been on your radar?
2: Probably two or three years. Okay. I know that the mother was hospitalized after the birth of her daughter, of the of Florence. And I know about postpartum depression. I've not experienced it myself, but this is a very real thing. And postpartum psychosis is also a very real thing. And so killing the baby is something that mothers suffering from postpartum psychosis often do or harm or you know harm the baby in themselves. But it is almost never, I could not find cases where a mother suffering postpartum kills the whole family in something like this. And where it's planned ahead, you know, where take them out to the movie theater and and then the the ticket taker saying, well you'll never see us again. I got to say the ticket taker was, and everybody who was interviewed by the papers after this story, Cadillac was a little tiny place and the New York Times came here and the Chicago Tribune came Mm. here and people had their minute in the spotlight. And so anybody telling their minute part of the story is going to amplify it. I know how people work and how, you know, when you're being interviewed, how that happens. And so I'm not certain that's exactly what what she said, but I'm certain she said, yeah, we won't ask for this again. I could see that. Don't worry, we won't come back again. Just this one night, let's go see this. And the inference then was that she was treating them before murdering them. And uh, that Mm. I don't think is the reality. I really don't think that's the reality.
0: Agreed especially because the accounts of after the vaudeville show is that they were like having a good time on their way home, going down the street, walking home and people who saw them, they looked like they were, they were having a good old time. When we were in the cemetery and you gave us the information that you knew, I just have to say that I was, I was intrigued, but I wasn't completely sold until I turned around (laughs) and I saw a half dead tree hovering, <laughs> almost encapsulating the a tombstone across the way with the name Cooper on it. And then I got goosebumps and I was like, no, this is it. <laughs> like, this is our story.
2: Yeah, and I had not noticed that before. So when you were talking about the dead trees. I did not make that connection until we were back in the cemetery. Cedar trees are very often planted in in cemeteries. So there are other cedar trees planted at the same time. So their trunks are about the same circumference. And this one had been damaged somehow, and mm-hmm. half of it had broken off. And it was hanging like it was obscuring the family headstone, mm-hmm. um, trying to hide the family name. And I think that there were headstones were not put up. Because of the gawkers who came to the murder scene, right, um, and the they did not want mm-hmm. people gawking at the graveside either.
0: The family where Daniel and Emma's family were. Buried, they do not have headstones, but across the aisle is their family or Daniel's family headstone. And that said Cooper. And that's what we're referring to with the half dead tree and the one that was hanging over the Cooper headstone, because you would not know Emma and Daniel and their kids were buried in that plot. It looks like an empty space in the cemetery. Yes,
2: it does. Yes. I think they were trying to um, protect through obscuring them. And then the obscuring became forgetting. And I don't think justice was ever was ever given. As a matter of fact, the coroner's report was that it was inconclusive. They did not say murder. They did not say suicide. They said that the deaths were inconclusive.
1: Jennifer, what are your thoughts on this story? I wasn't clear then, and I'm still not certain now. What, what I do believe is that Emma is in anguish for sure. I, I feel her spirit in anguish. And I also believe a hundred percent that the murders did not play out the way they had been reported in the media, but I don't psychically have a clear picture of who the murderer is.
0: I think that's fair, but I I definitely do not think that Emma was the murderer. I think they done her dirty. And I think Mm. just because she has a history of mental illness and she was at the Traverse City Asylum for a short period of time after Florence was born, that
1: they really villainized her.
2: Yeah, I don't think she did it either. No.
1: Well, you do have a quote from Fred naming his mother as the murderer. So T.I., how do you come to terms with that?
2: Well, the quote was a secondhand quote. Mm. Emma's mother said that Fred came walking out. And at first, that's how she knew this had happened. um, And it looked like he'd been in some kind of fight when he collapsed. She said, he said that mother did it. She killed them all. And that was her quote, quoting him. Now, here's someone with a head injury that was unconscious at the hospital for a long, long time. And after he regained consciousness, he could not recall anything from that night. As a matter Mm. of fact, in one of the articles, it was when they were questioning him, he was very excited about, like he was living with his grandparents on their farm in Sherman Township, and they had a motor car. And all he wanted to talk about was the motor car and not what had happened. And although someone with PTSD, that's that's in keeping with that or with a head injury. But it mm-hmm. just seemed very odd that he was very enamored with the things that his grandparents had and they were mm-hmm. living in poverty. And his father couldn't work and he was the eldest son and he had to work hard. Farm Mm-mm. work is not easy work. And mm-hmm. it is it's sun up to sundown. And I'm not sure what farm he worked on. There were farms just outside of Cadillac, but I'm sure he was walking to work on the farm and walking home and bringing a few pennies in to keep them fed. And I think Emma's mother was also helping with that. She would come in the mornings and um, help with breakfast and things with the family because the father was sick and mother was not fully well.
1: So Fred was literally... The oldest son, Fred, was literally the only person supporting, monetarily supporting the family. The entire family, correct.
2: Yeah. And so I'm very hesitant to talk about what I think happened because there is no real evidence of it. But I have gone back to the cemetery by myself and just parked my car all along this, this um, early fall, actually, and just said what happened. And I got a completely different story. Now, whether it is my own imagination or is it coming from them, I don't know. But I can tell you what I got that day. Do you want to hear that? Sure. It's yes. Not, it's not really verifiable, but there's there's no evidence really that counterindicates it either. So what I saw was that... Emma was feeling pretty good. Um, The father was still not well. He was still unable to work. Anyway, she decided, you know, we just got to get out of the house. We got to go do something. There's this great show in town. Let's just go see if we can get in, spend a few pennies and have an evening, just entertaining, an entertaining evening and just leave the doldrums behind us. And she went and spent money on all the other children, and then went downtown and actually bought a treat. And it was Fred's hard-earned money. And father was not getting better. And Fred, he saw himself having to support this family the rest of his life, because as the eldest son. But there's a bunch of kids, and he saw no way out. And there were reports that there had been fighting Mm -hmm. at the home that night. Who would have been upset about them going to the show? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Who would have been upset about spending money that he worked his fingers to the bone to earn, to put food on the table and keep them in house and, and home? And... I know that although in 1908, 17-year-olds were considered men, I know the brain of an adolescent is incredibly impulsive. And Mm. in the heat of an argument, I could see him saying, I'm not doing this anymore. That's it. I'm done. And intending to also kill himself. So kill everybody and kill himself in the end and his wound did not kill him because it was sort of a glancing wound The other thing with suicide is is there a hesitation and i think that is why he survived is because his shot he had that hesitation and it was a, a glancing wound i also think that he absolutely did not remember it i don't think he remembered it i know all the others did and mm-hmm. i know also as a grandmother, that if my entire family had been killed, and there was one surviving member, I would do everything in my power to protect that survivor. And I know that she probably would never suspect that he would do that either. And she could absolutely think that Emma could have done it because Emma herself had been suicidal Mm -hmm. after Florence's birth, she was suffering from postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of the anguish that we're feeling for me as a grandmother myself, what I was getting was from Emma's mother, Mm. Mrs. Hetty. That's what I think happened.
0: There is alternative theories as to Emma not being the murderer. The first one that I had outlined was based on the coroner's jury verdict, which They found that Daniel Cooper, Emma, and the children came to their deaths from a gunshot inflicted by some person or persons unknown. So they did not place blame on Emma. Also, the coroner's jury brought up the fact that Emma was right-handed and the shot to her head that was suspected to be self-inflicted was behind the left temple, so if you're a right-handed and, and you were shooting yourself in the head, you would be literally like a contortionist to get the wound where it was. Also, the coroners report that there was no gunpowder residue on any of the victims. And they didn't mention a distinction between Emma and the rest of the victims. But apparently the of the dead, there was no gunfire or residue. So I think that that was very telling. Then the second theory I outlined is similar to what T.I. was picking up psychically is that Fred killed his family and blamed his mom is what I literally wrote in the outline because I felt like there was a motive being Fred the oldest the sole provider of this large family at 17 and if his family disappeared he would be working the same amount but he would reap more of the rewards and there is evidence to back up that it could have been him because he inherited the family farm and he is the only survivor So, I mean, it's circumstantial. this isn't a courtroom, this is our psychic impressions. And is there anything verifiable that could lead us to support that theory? But 100% in my mind's eye, it was not Emma who killed this family. 100% it wasn't.
2: So also, I think something really important is with no powder residue on the hands of any of the people that the coroner, the coroner would not test the survivor, The coroner would only look at the bodies of the dead and getting Fred to the hospital. And at the hospital, I'm sure there was blood everywhere and they probably just cleaned him up. So that's another indicator that that it, it may have been him.
0: As we mentioned, the mother of Emma, Emma's mother, the grandmother, made the grisly discovery the morning after, so the morning of the 13th. She had come to the home, presumably to help with the kids in the morning. Fred met her upon arrival and was complaining that his throat hurt. And of course, she sees that he has a friggin' head wound and she's like, what happened? And that's when he said, mother chloroformed the family, shot him, and there was fighting before that had happened.
1: So it sounds like he was awake, lucid and walking around, it Mm -hmm. appears, right? Before he was taken to the hospital. So he could have placed the gun to his mother's left. That's a really good point. Right? T.I., what you said about the circumstance with the whole family, but Fred, really, right? Going to the show, that for me really resonated
0: because <laughs> jennifer was the oldest that was the only one working she would kick <laughs> our asses collect money and went to
2: the show <laughs> seriously seriously per-
1: personally if if emma didn't commit this crime and it was widely reported that she was insane and she did i can see why there's so much despair and it's anguish anguish you know coming from her spirit also
0: she was laying over florence and just thinking my baby my baby yeah. i definitely do not think emma's done this so who do you think our voiceless is i mean emma for sure and the babies the kids they didn't have a chance they didn't deserve that
2: i think i think it's the whole family mm. including fred and the grandmother. I really yeah. do. I think that the sensationalization of this story has removed any compassion toward them. And I think what they need more than anything is compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, that unconditional love, which compassion is. And when that happens, I think they can rest.
0: Also, I want them to have
2: a gravestone. I really do. Yeah, they should have gravestone. At least one Right. And that was something that you picked up. You wanted to get something. To, I need something to remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To prove that I was it here. To prove that I was here. Is what you said, yeah. Right. And I have no idea how that could happen. I'm not, I'm not sure how to do that. Yeah.
0: So Fred ended up passing away when he was about 40 years old.
2: I think he was younger. Wasn't he in his 30s? He had a wife and two children that all died before him
0: his wife died and a child died. One child outlived him, but he was either around like 38 or 40 when he ended up passing away. But it doesn't seem like his surviving daughter had a family of her own. So I don't know if there's someone that we can contact to be like, hey, we want to put a gravestone up or even the legality of that. It reminds me of grandma when I wanted to clean off Yolanda's grave. She was like, baby, you can't be doing that.
2: Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just put a stone. There are rules. You can't just put a stone (laughs) plus it's an ancestor i think i got from the the historian that he had no descendants but you know there are peripheral descendants
0: well thank you so much for hosting us and going on an adventure with us it was awesome we really enjoy spending time with you and your family's amazing this they're just (laughs) it doesn't make sense how you (laughs) raise the most amazing children and your grandchildren well my gosh real
1: just a delightful delightful group of people so thank you. We, we really enjoyed ourselves and we're grateful for you, for your energy and for coming with us and, and being a part of this psychic investigation.
2: I want to thank you both for coming up and for taking me on this journey and helping with this family from my community and helping to bring peace to ancestors because our, all the ancestors are ancestors.
0: I hope that you'll let us know if you feel a different energy, because like you said, you've been experiencing this energy from these particular people for years. Hopefully, once this episode is out, maybe that could alleviate some of that grief or pain.
2: And maybe what I would ask is that anyone who hears this episode, please take a minute and just think about the Cooper family with love and compassion. And not with intrigue or horror, which has been the case since their bodies left this earth. And I think that's what's keeping them here. If they feel love from more and more people, if they are viewed as worthy of compassion and worthy of love, I think they'll be able to move on.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. The family members, again, are Daniel Cooper, Emma Cooper, Inez. Fred, Harry, Samuel, Georgiana, and Florence. Yeah, so send send the Coopers love. Miss um,
0: Spooky Ti, tell us everything that's coming up for you, because we are super excited <laughs> to hear what you're doing.
2: Well, yeah. I've got um, two books out, and a third will be coming out this this year i think it goes to press in february so it should be out by may and i've got a a youtube channel where during the pandemic i started telling my personal ghost stories live on facebook and i just saved them all to a youtube channel and it's ghost stories with spooky ms ti and you can find them all there i also just uh last week i guess week before the holidays Recorded a new spooked story. So I'm not sure when that will be coming out.
1: (gasps) Shut up. Oh, Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Oh, you got to let us know when that happens. We cannot wait. I will absolutely let you know when that happens. And if listeners would like to check out your books, what's the best way for them to find your books and maybe buy one? Well, you can
2: find them on the online. But the best way to do it if you ask me, is to go to your brick and mortar bookstore and ask for it because bookstores can order just one copy for you. And it helps the bookstores. It helps my publisher. It helps me to do it that way as, as opposed to the big A word on the interwebs. Um, first book is called Beyond Brick and Bone by Antoinette M. Shippers. S-C-A. I
1: love it. It's amazing love it. read. Love it. Love it. Loved it. Trigger
2: like warning: There are things that are disturbing in this book, but it's also resolves very in a good way. Um, and then the other book is a book of poetry titled Spirit Within Spirits Throughout. And that's also by Antoinette T.I. Shippers. Um, so ask your, uh, I should tell you the publisher is Parkhurst Brothers Publishing. So tell your bookstore that you're looking for those books and you can find them. You can go on your bookstore's website and order them and then just go pick them up at your bookstore. And then the third one that's coming out this year is called Liminal Life. And that's Mm. also that
0: I'm excited. I'm really excited about that one.
2: Love.
1: I'm excited about your book, by the way. Oh, it's a lot of work. (laughs) We don't know how you do it. Yeah, we are working on our first book through Martin's Sisters Publishing. It will be called Common Mystics, Murders and Mysterious Deaths. It is a retelling of some of our favorite stories that we have highlighted in our podcast.
0: And we add little extras like what to know if you go, what our takeaways from the story is. Yeah, so we're really excited.
2: Oh, that's really exciting. I can't wait to get one.
1: (laughs) We love you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for your time and for sharing your stories and your gifts with us and, and with the world. We love you.
2: Mwah. I love you too. Mwah. Well, stay safe. Take care. and Bye. bye. Happy New Year. Bye.
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to our very special Common Mystics edition with Spooky Miss T.I. So please remember to find us on our website, commonmystics.net. You can tune in on Facebook, Instagram, and
1: Twitter, and wherever you're listening to your favorite podcasts. But if you happen to be on Apple, please leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thank you,
2: guys. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Good night.